0: Beyond everyone, Jonathan here, and before we get into this week's episode of Podcast Beyond, I want to tell you about a new exciting reality show between Rogue Games and IGN called Rogue Jam. It's a really awesome opportunity where game developers are impressing a panel of gaming industry icons to win the grand prize, and Rogue is giving upwards of $800,000 in prize money to winning devs and even a publishing deal from Rogue. Uh, the industry icons include Reggie fils and even some people from IGN you may recognize. Uh, this show is going to be airing weekly on Mondays. There are going to be five episodes of it, and they start airing on April 18th at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on IGN.com, IGN's YouTube channel, and IGN One. Again, that's Rogue Jam. It's going to be a really exciting series to watch roll out, and I hope you'll tune in. And now, I'm joined this week by Jada Griffin.
1: Hello, hello, everyone. I am so excited for our topics this week. Should it's be, gonna be a great week. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. We're also joined this week by Mark Medina.
2: If by topics, you mean talking about the ending of Severance season one, then I am also excited.
0: I gotta no,
3: say,
2: no. We, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: I was gonna I'm, say- one episode in. <laughs> no, we're not gonna spoil. <laughs> I was gonna say, this is either a week that, at, that some of the audience has probably been looking very
2: forward to yep, and yep. some
0: are very sad about.
2: Yeah, um, so if course, you, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, season one of Severance is over. What a season it ended on, or what a what a what an episode <laughs> it ended on. It was great, man. It yeah. was so so good. But yeah, I was I was gonna say the same thing to all the people that have like tweeted out and was like, "Yo, I've never watched Severance until I watched you know the show, and now I'm hooked and all that stuff." That's awesome. I'm glad that we were able to talk about a show that we liked and that you liked it. And to the people who don't care about Severance, well, the long nightmare is over. We have nothing else to talk about until, until next two. year yeah <laughs> until um, season two hits and then we're back <laughs> yeah
0: the severance mini podcast within a podcast uh but no yeah genuinely nope. it, it i do very much appreciate everyone who has reached out being like hey because you guys didn't shut up about it i did watch and i really <laughs> enjoyed it um so thank That's a you win.
3: <laughs> yeah it's a,
0: it's a win in our book for good television jada i hope uh you enjoy it as you continue to watch through we can revive our mini podcast within a show uh, how, many, you
2: how many episodes in are you? I know you said you had watched the first episode.
1: I still have only watched the first one, okay. mostly because I've been on an anime binge. I've been rewatching uh The Rise of the Shield Hero. Mm. So for anybody anime fans, Rise of the Shield Hero is fantastic. Second season just kicked off uh, last week. So uh, definitely watch it. It is a great show. Awesome. I, um, nice. I have watched maybe, uh, other than my
0: like, young life growing up watching toonami after school every day i have not really mm. watched much anime since so i am still yeah. on like the the starter pack stuff of like oh i watched cowboy bebop a year ago and and i'm still making my way through things but every time i hear a name of someone uh, of an anime from someone i trust make sure to write it down so thank you for the <laughs> recommendation jada um other than anime and severance this week though we are uh, talking about as i hinted at uh, the beginnings of PlayStation, we're, we're jumping back in time a little bit because, uh, you know, in these weeks leading up to the PlayStation Plus uh, switcheroo that's going to happen where we get all these new tiers that are going to have legacy libraries, we wanted to talk about some of the games we're most excited to see on those platforms. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously there is, I think, you know, it's worth saying there are the PlayStation now uh libraries that currently exist for some of those older libraries not every console is featured on there we're we're not going to be beholding ourselves to what is already existing in playstation now we are going to kind of leave it open to just the things we really want to see i think you may also hear us talk about some games that we've we've tried to be i think pretty realistic about expectations that chances are if a game has gotten a remaster or a remake we're not really expecting it to be on the service Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, there are some of those games that we do want to see, because I do think it is really interesting and cool to see those older versions side by side with this new stuff. So we, we aren't um, forbidding ourselves from talking about those. We're just being realistic that they might not show up. Um, yeah. But we're going to go console by console over the next few weeks through things. Uh, we've got some fan input as well from both Twitter and the email, which the email works. The email beyond at IGN.com is working. So thank you to everyone who wrote in. Thank you for the memory cards we've gotten. Got one to read later on the show. Uh, got some PS Plus wish lists to read as well for this episode. Uh, but yeah, we're going all the way back to the original PlayStation. This is the only original PlayStation game from my childhood I still own. A copy of the most important game, Crash Bandicoot 2: Cortex Strikes Back. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna dip into the games that I think we're most excited to hopefully be able to play again one day. Um, or just the games we really, really loved. Essentially, you know, we, we've we talked about the show, and Mark, not to put you on the spotlight, but you've talked about pretty, like, openly, the, the the legacy libraries is not the thing that's going to draw you necessarily to PS Plus. But you do mm-hmm. have a love of a lot of these old games. So you can kind of consider these, like, combo our favorites of the time slash things we hope show up on the service.
2: Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, funny, but... you said grab, like, original stuff. So I, all of my games are the cd attachment for the super nintendo so.
0: uh, okay I'll,
2: I'll need to i'll need to look mm. up gotcha. i need to look up some new games but uh, yeah if,
0: if you can uh switch those I out mean, real quick just
2: okay i got it. real
0: life typing there we Good go, go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um but yeah we're we're gonna dip in uh, we we originally had said like eh, we'll do five games each i'm gonna just kind of go around and and we definitely i think have more than five each to talk about potentially we'll we'll just see where it goes based on timing and everything uh but i'm gonna <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know, talk, we'll until, talk until you get bored. The po- the <laughs> Basically, <way. laughs> don't stop
0: talking until you're bored.
1: Um, anyway, so this is just going to be me monologuing this episode. Then Perfect. That's all we get. We just get a Jada monologue for 52 minutes. Well,
0: I mean, the first game Jada on your list maybe is a good place to start about because I will say I did ask for recommendations on Twitter. Uh, thank you to everyone who tweeted at me about that Four games people would really want to see. And probably this, the first one that you listed in the Google Doc, uh, is probably one of the ones that showed up, if not the most one of the top, probably three most mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it's one I embarrassingly have missed. So please tell me your love of this game,
1: Tomba. I am. I love Tomba. Tomba is. It's a PS One game that I never owned, but my cousin owned. So anytime that we had the opportunity to go to my cousin's house. I would just completely kick him off his system because I was older. And I would play. It was a I was a really bad older cousin growing up. But Tomba is amazing. You play as this like pink-haired. This is Klonoa? Is this Tomba? Oh, that's right. The power-up. Um, mm-hmm. I was totally, I was like, this looks like Klonoa, um, which is another great PS1 game. But uh, Tomba, you play as this uh cave-haired, this pink-haired caveman. Uh, the first one is side-scrolling platformer. There's tons of collectibles. Um, you're beating up on these cute but devilish little pigs, monsters. Um, it's just It was just one of those games that I really loved on the PS1, and I don't think I actually ever finished it because of, like I said, I never actually owned it myself. Um, so this is one that I selfishly want to come back to just so I can play it again. Um, and then also the Tomba 2 came out and that one kind of transitioned to 3D, and I never even got a chance to touch that one uh, because I was not a PS1 kid growing up. I was a 64 kid in the household, so. I never got to play tomba 2 but uh tomba 2 kind of went this 2 and 2.5 3d kind of weird uh upgrade and uh it it looks like a lot of fun from like the videos and stuff i looked at it over the years but i just never found a copy um did either of you guys play tomba i know jonathan you said you didn't but mark did you Uh, ever get around to playing tomba
2: no these games are actually like i know a lot of ps1 games are like Quote unquote rare, but these games are especially Tomba 2 is like kind of rare by today's standards. Like trying to find it is is probably kind of expensive. The only thing I know about this game is that really, really funny GDQ clip where the, like the mm-hmm. guy's just like bugging the other guy. I sent it to you right before this. It's my favorite GDQ clip ever. <laughs> Fast pants. <laughs>
4: like, that's <are> the only <laughs> thing I know
2: about the game is like whatever's in that clip. I love that. Uh, I love that video so much, but no, I don't, I don't know anything about these games and uh they sure look like something.
1: <laughs> the... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the that old school day, the old school of, like, platformers were kind of the thing back then. And yeah. so this Tombow was a great example of it uh, back in the day. Uh, but Jonathan, you were going to say something.
0: No, I was just going to ask, like, in, in terms of, I guess, the sort of overarching uh, platformer a hierarchy sl- slash love of it, I do think it's one that I, I you know, obviously saw a lot in the in the responses for this, but also just it's a name that's kind of completely gone out of conversation obviously like the crashes and, and and whatnot have sort of stayed through from the playstation side but tomba i've never seen anyone try to remake it as far as i know i don't think there's been a remaster mm-hmm. or a remake of any kind like is there anything really specific about it that that stuck with you
1: honestly it was just i think it was really just the character that was really like was one of the things that really just drew me in like eight nine year old jada was just like hey this is a half naked dude with pink <laughs> hair like this is so weird and i'm all for it um i mean and it's got bulging eyes it's just so weird uh this game is very strange um I, I honestly it's i really just want it to come back so i can actually play it and get a better opinion of the game um and like all the games on my list are games that i stuck away i stayed away from anything that's been remastered anything that's been re-released anything you can stream easily like all my games are for the most part, outside of that, uh, that range. So I'm excited to share my other picks. But is, uh was definitely one of the first one that came to mind. Well, awesome. I,
0: yeah, it's one that I feel like would be so perfect for me, and so I'm bummed that I didn't get to play it. So I, I would really love to see that, especially too, with just the different perspective shifts. I think that's such mm-hmm. a cool option. Um, moving on from that one, Mark, what about you? What's one that you would want to go back to?
2: So it's a game I've brought up quite a bit, actually, on this show, uh, on any of the shows I've been on uh, at this company, but uh, it's called Brave Fencer Musashi, and it was also a big Twitter pick, and uh, it's great. It's an old Squaresoft game, and it most famously included a demo for Final Fantasy VIII, which is kind of where it got a lot of its, you know, steam from, but it's it's a it's 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 less like tomba but kind of the same in the sense that it has this like dynamic camera where sometimes it's top down sometimes like as you can see here it's like it's like a top down like action platformer kind of deal you have two swords fusion and and i want to say lumin luminous. that's a they might just be a severance reference but i'm pretty sure it's what it's called <laughs> um <laughs> and uh but but it's also dynamic like there's uh very famous scene right at the beginning where you're running from like a giant boulder and so it's like it's it's front view and you're running towards the camera or like you're climbing up a tower so then it's it kind of becomes this weird like side scroller that kind of goes around this tower and i don't know it's just it was one of the first games i played where it's like you do this like intro it, it's a format that a lot of games follow now uh this is the tower i was talking about so how yeah, it becomes kind of like a side scroller that's just b-roll references but regardless um it kind of has this like format that a lot of games have now where it's like this action-packed opening sequence and you don't really know what's going on and then you end up in a town and then you kind of start to learn more about it you have this hub world you can kind of go around and from there there's like different areas you can go to, um yeah I don't remember a ton about the game i I played it a lot when I was younger, but again, this game is like kind of rare to come by nowadays um I'm sure you can get on e get it on eBay for like fifty dollars but like so it's a tad expensive to see if i want to play this game again so it's like the, it's it's to me it's the perfect like playstation now game to be able to be like is this as fun as i remember i think it would be but i'd i'd love to try it again for the first subscription service that i'm already paying for
0: uh speaking of what you said the that matt on twitter said uh they were recommending xenogears as it's the, their favorite game they've beaten it 20 times and i own it in four different ways but i play it again they were like otherwise a list of the 20 most expensive ps1 games to buy off ebay <laughs> and i think that does yeah. speak to like man yeah if there's an easy accessible way that market's gonna go kind of haywire but also it, it just means a lot of people get to revisit these classics
2: um yeah the i i've thought about that a lot i included a tweet in here that i think we'll get to later but the reason i included it is he included some games that actually would pr- are, are kind of hard to come by i'll just say one of them like like twist of metal one is I've never played Twisted Metal 1. I played Twisted Metal 2, but Twisted Metal 1, I'm, I'm pretty sure, is, like, kind of rare and, and harder to find. And it makes me wonder, and like I said, I looked up Brave Fencer Musashi, and it's, like, $40, $50 on eBay, which is fairly expensive for a PlayStation 1 game. Um, And that was, like, opened just in the box, you know? And uh, I thought about it, and I'm like, the second Brave Fencer Musashi is playable on my PS5, does the eBay listing just... You know, I don't know. <laughs> Just I don't know how that stuff kind of yeah. works.
0: I got to assume the, the, the. I mean, obviously, there will be people who want to collect the physical versions and have those libraries, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and especially with the volatility we've seen of PlayStation, of not, you know, the potential of the PS3 and Vita stores closing and all that. So, like, I'm sure people will still buy it. It, I could see it going one of two ways, where like it, it does go down for a bit, especially at the start. But for people who really want to collect it, maybe that market is willing to pay a little bit more.
2: Um, yeah, I wonder so, if there's a case sure. to be made where somebody plays a game on one of these services and then goes, okay, now I want to buy this. Yeah. Like now I've I'm played sh- this and yeah. now I want to own it physically. Because just cause something's on PlayStation now or game pass or any of these services doesn't mean it's there forever. Like they can easily, mm-hmm. that, that's the whole point of these services is that they take games off and cycle in new ones. So I guess there's a case to be made. I, I I'm willing to bet it almost probably doesn't change the price of it at all.
0: i wouldn't be shocked if there's like a day one sort of decrease on the on the sticker Mm -hmm. price just because of a reaction Mm -hmm. but yeah i I agree i think there will still always be the audience who wants to have that who wants to have that physical library because like you said these uh especially with the more modern games they're going to be a lot more volatile in what stays on what doesn't what comes off and if you don't own it you might just lose having that game anymore um but yeah brave fencer musashi is one i feel like i have heard from not just you but so many people on staff and is one i absolutely missed the boat on so I, I would love to play that one at some point too and it feels like one that i've heard a lot of demand for
1: yeah i've missed this one too this was a deaf and blind spot for me is this one related to uh, musashi samurai legend on ps2 mark do you know i have no idea, no idea. I don't know. okay because I, <laughs> I, I played musashi samurai legend on the ps2 and so like well we can talk more about it next week um or whenever we do ps2 um but uh that I really like that one, so I'm excited to try Brave Fencer Musashi. Mm-hmm. So,
0: a PlayStation 2 sequel titled Musashi Samurai Legend was developed by Square Enix
1: and released in 2005. Well, there you go. Yeah, so same same developer. I'm just not sure if it's in the same. You know, they can share names and not be part of the same thing. But yeah, I mean, it, it says it's a sequel, so I assume there's. Some. Oh, does it? Yeah, okay, yeah, I missed that sequel, part. So.
0: Cool. Um, what's yeah. it,
2: what's well, there it we called? Go. Musashi Samurai, Samurai Legend. Legend. I just yeah. want to see the box art, because it's like, it's <laughs> yeah. one of those things where it's like, you look at it, and you're like, oh, that's definitely it... it. I don't know, it looks, <laughs> looks... Oh, never mind, it doesn't look anything like him. Right. Never mind, I'm out. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: um, my first pick, I think one thing, I've seen a few people say it, and I do think it's absolutely true, like, I don't see any reason, unless they have lost the ROMs for these things, that all PS1, like, PlayStation developed and produced an owned IP. Obviously like Crash and Spyro is a little bit of a gray area there because it's now owned by Activision. But like mm-hmm. anything PlayStation still has the rights to and still has available as a rom a thing that they can put on the service should be there. And one series yep. I would really really love to see is Ape Escape. Uh which my experience with it I'm glad to hear another friend. There was um I never owned Ape Escape because I didn't have the PlayStation 1 controller uh, until very late, that had analog sticks. Um, mm. But my neighbor down the road, a few years older, when I was just a kid, and he was, like, the cool older kid who who I didn't have a brother, so he basically was, like, my older brother for a couple years, would... You know, he, he had all the cooler, newer games, and he had, like, the... I forget what it was called, but the like PlayStation One boomerang uh, accessory that let you add more controllers because you can only do two multi tap. Multi-tap, multi-tap yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. He he had one of those. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is this? This is amazing. And he also had Ape
2: Escape and was able to play it fully. And I it's like funny, I do remember it being shaped like a boomerang.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. It's
0: that sort of yeah, you know, like almost fully elegant I shit. think
1: I still have mine. Ooh. It's awesome. Um I'm gonna have to dig I'm gonna dig through my accessories for next week and I'll see what I've got. Yeah, please so. do. <laughs> um,
0: especially anything uh PS2 related as well. But yeah, I I loved this game. I, I am sort of a sucker for, a, a, like, collect-a-thon stuff. That's obviously something I talk about all the time. But sort of the act of these really, like, bespoke finding the apes in certain particular... Essentially mini-puzzles that you had to do to collect them and, and uh, trap them and everything. I loved the combination of it. I thought the, the I guess, like, weapon item variety that you had was really great. And and there was just such a charm and silliness to it. Like, I guess... I I hate that this comparison jumped into my head. The apes... Certainly feel like a proto uh Astrobot to a certain extent, but you know in an mm. era where like minions and uh the rabbits all exist, I feel like they probably could have done that with the Apes if they just had really doubled down on them as like a PlayStation sort of mascot thing um but yeah i I loved Apis Gabe, I thought um I think I only played the original to completion I don't know if I played the sequels fully um so so ape escape one is really like the nostalgia that i have for it but it's always a series i've wanted to go back to i always feel like it's one that they could do a pretty good remake or remaster for i've always long thought that like team asobi could probably knock an ape escape game out of the park with some really ingenious puzzle and level design um but i do think there's a lot of passion and love for this franchise and jade obviously it sounds like you are a fan as well
1: oh yeah i'm a huge ape escape fan um i just played replayed through ape escape 2 and got all the trophies nice. uh tail end of last year um or very beginning of this year one of the two um how did it hold and up? so yeah i love it held up pretty fine like it was definitely a lot faster of a clear uh nowadays than it was back when i was a kid playing it on ps1 and ps2 um playing apescape 2 on ps2 one-on-one obviously um but yeah it was a much quicker clear because i just understood all the mechanics and how to make best use of all the different gadgets. Uh, Obviously, aiming is a little bit more dynamic and better with the the cameras and stuff like that. It just, just, everything feels felt a lot better playing in it. Obviously, you can see it's dated and it's texture, it's graphics still, but the gameplay core loop is still excellent, so highly recommend Ape Escape 2 to any of those out there looking to try this awesome franchise
0: do you know did they do two and three as those like ps2 re-releases or was it just only
1: two, two okay. only two has gotten the re-release to my knowledge okay. um that's the only one that's available right right like right now on the ps uh store that you can go and download right now gotcha because i'm go download it mm-hmm. i i hate
0: i hate that that was my first thought but the second you said it, and you're like you you got the platinum i was like oh i can get trophies in ape escape now you say <laughs> so that's where yes. my brain is broken <laughs> um, but yeah i would love it i i think there's totally room for this to exist as a property still especially i really loved that the beginning of the ps5 um I don't, I don't know about for both of you obviously you weren't on the show toward the tail end of the ps4 experience i love that playstation does these cinematic more mature you know experiences but i do think mm-hmm. there is a there is a part of them that is able to be family friendly is able to have these more mm-hmm. you know mass appeal sort of things on a on a like less cinematic scale and i think things like astrobot and sackboy coming out together at launch i think prove that they could do that i i think there just needs to be a more regular cadence and ape Escape feels like a good option to put in there as well
2: um, yeah playstation has always been like talked about as that that you know the console maker that kind of grew up with this audience right like it kind of started it at the in the mascot platformers and then now we have things like last of us where you have something on the other side like nintendo where it's like the most recent Mario game is just as like heartwarming as, as they've been with us growing up. Right. Um, they've Mm -hmm. gone a little bit more mature with things like, uh, with breath of the wild actually is, is a little bit more hardcore than, than. I mean, Zelda games have never been super easy, but that one is particularly harder. Um, but I, I think, I think after playing Astros and, uh, and like you said, like Sackboy and like, uh, you know, people love Little Big Planet. And so I, I do think that there is an argument to be made, especially with how well received um, Spyro Reignited Trilogy and the, and the Crash Trilogy was. Like, people do love those old games. So it's, it's hard. It's hard for them to, I, I think it's hard for them to want to bank on being like, we're going to make a new Ape Escape. But I, yeah. I, think, I think people would like it.
0: I, I think it also comes down to team availability, because it, like, mm-hmm. you have Ape Escape as an option there. I think Asobi with Astros, it would make a little bit more sense, but I, I don't think we're going to see as much as people want it, and I do hope it happens, and like I know rumors fly around like crazy. I do hope we get a new Sly Cooper at some point, but it's not going right. to be Sucker Punch, most likely. Like Clearly, they're... No. They've they've gone on to different interests and that's fine. But so it it becomes like who who develops it. Maybe there is a another team that PlayStation knows or works with that could be a good home for it. But it's one of those things where it's like it it depends on what these teams want to do in house, especially too. And so there's there's definitely a balance to be struck. But you know, in terms of that growing up idea, there is this like we're at a point where especially a lot of people who grew up from PS1 to the beginning also have their kids to play with now. And so Mm -hmm. um, I do think there's there's room for this stuff.
2: I think there's a lot of people that probably, you know, thought like Crash, that's Naughty Dog, right? And then Toys for Bob, they, they didn't, they remastered the games, but then they also made a new one and people love that game. So, like, it's totally fair for, for those to kind of like, you know, and then they and then they destroyed the studio. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it didn't work out so well. <laughs> anyway, moving on to happier
0: thoughts. Jada, what's a what's another one you want to shout out uh, from? The
1: Since table? we're in the kind of like the kid friendly kind of growing up, I'm going to go with Digimon Worlds One through Three. Yeah. Uh, so I'm three cheating with them? this one. Yeah. There were three Digimon World games, and there was also a fighter called Digimon Rumble Arena, um, which I believe was PS1, but it might have been oh, PS2. Yeah. So don't quote me on that one. Um, but when I mentioned this
2: yesterday, I thought there was just one, I
1: swear. No, there were three of them. Um, the Digimon world games were so frustrating back in the day. Like, like you had Pokemon that came out and had like a very simple formula. You, you know, you catch Pokemon, you go fight with them. They level up, they evolve into what they're supposed to evolve in. Digimon threw that out the window. They said, we don't care about this basic easy stuff um i cannot tell you how many times i had to restart that game because i would have like an agumon and it would digivolve into a numamon and if you do not know what a numamon is it is like the poop it is the poop <laughs> um it's basically play like mermuck but it's more know. poopy in digimon um and so like digimon had this really just deep upgrade system where your digimon Digivolves based on their stats and the food and their training. So like you had to really focus on all these different elements with when raising them in order to get the Digimon you wanted, which also meant you could get some really cool different Digivolutions that you weren't expecting if you did something different, Um, but had just a really great system, super deep RPG, um, and just frustrating, but so much fun to replay over and over again, trying to get things right and train your Digimon team right um but yeah i love the digimon series they were so good um but yeah it's uh and it's kind of like it, i don't remember who did it first but like between this and monster rancher which is another one i would like i'm giving honorable mention in the digimon talk but like i don't think monster rancher would work because of the whole premise of putting cds in your system to like, get more monsters um they both had this like training system to where you could send You could, you know, take them to a camp. You were seeing in the B-roll footage there, Agamon was about to start punching on one of those little, uh, I can't remember what they're called, the training dummy, basically. (laughs) Um, And that would raise his, like, attack stat. Um, And so you would do different things like that, but that would also, like, lower their energy, and their, like, they only had so much stamina to do things. Um, But, yeah, it was great. Turn-based combat, uh, just a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I, man, I I think I only played one most of the time. But, yeah, there were... I, you saying it was frustrating like so perfectly captured i loved these games despite the frustrations like the, it was this mm-hmm. weird balance of the two things where it was like i'm kind of annoyed at this game but i need to keep
1: playing it because i care about Dijon so much right now yeah and and i think they're actually where it's looking at the b-roll footage it looks like they were actually real time but like it's a turn-based real time where it's just like it's like on the timer um oh, so right correction for that but yeah um but there were special things like finishers and stuff you got as you built up gauges and stuff so um, but yeah man, i mean i love these games they were so much fun um it's just they were frustrating and confusing because there was no there was no internet to go and really google all the things like there was game faqs that were starting to pop up on games when these were coming out and you could read that but like you were kind of going off of like hopefully somebody knew what they were talking about like there was no way to validate the guide until you did what they did and hoped you got the same response so well,
0: and especially if i was you know, with my limited AOL dial up and someone else was on the phone or I had other homework I needed to get done and I only had so much time. There's only so much you can spend looking at game facts. And so, yeah, I, I, you had to go on your own a lot for these. It's probably a very different experience if we jumped in now. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Mark, what about you? What's another one you want to shout out?
2: Uh, yeah, so I'm going to cheat a little. So PlayStation has a lot of like series that spanned the console, right? And so I'm going to go with Mega Man X4 and 5, X4, Ooh. 5 and 6. I said three of them <laughs> and one of them was X, which is a Super Nintendo <laughs> game. Uh yeah, I really love those games and they're actually not that hard to like come by nowadays. Um there's been collections of them uh fairly recently. So it's not that they're like ultra rare, but like if you want to be able to play them on PlayStation now in their in their true PlayStation 1 form uh then those those are really really great games. X4 is a lot more of the traditional Mega Man X that a lot of people would remember in the sense that like you start with, like, almost nothing, no power-ups. You're just Mega Man, and as you play through the game, you get more and more power-ups, and that's, you know, kind of how it is. Mega Man X5, you start in, like, full gear. You're awesome, but that game is really, really fun. And then in Mega Man... And, oh, I was going to say, in Mega Man X6, you get to play as Zero. You also get to play as Zero in Mega Man X5, but he is ultra-powerful in Mega Man X6, and, and he's really, really... Really, really fun to play as. Um, But no, these games are really, really great Mega Man games. And I also just want to shout out, like, the soundtracks for all of these games are Mm -hmm. incredible. They are so, so good. Some of the best Mega Man music you'll ever hear. So, um, especially, like, their starting stages. They're all, like, really, really, really good. Um, But yeah, they're just really, really solid um, Mega Man games that after six... The series kind of went downhill with Mega Man 7, Mega Man 8, uh, Mega Man X7, and X8, not mm. 8 and 9 and 10. Um, so, like, Mega Man X6, for a lot of people, is kind of, like, the last in the in the Mega Man X series, only because, you know, yeah, it kind of, like, went off the rails after that. So, um, I would love to see these games return, because these are games that I would actually love to jump back in and play again. Um, because they're just really, really fun games with really, really good music.
0: Yeah, it's I, it's going to be an interesting thing that they're going to have to strike a balance of. Of I, I do think being able to explore some of these games in their original form is so worthwhile, and, and to be able to play it, you know, obviously emulated and whatnot, but um, the Mega Man franchise is something I totally missed on PlayStation, um, mm-hmm. and, and I feel like the X series I hear so much great stuff about, and I know there have been mm-hmm. collections and things, but I feel like that one... It, it is it. Am I wrong for thinking it's maybe a little bit more not? I feel like accessible is maybe the wrong word, but a little bit easier to get into than base Mega Man, just because they're a little bit old, like newer.
2: Yeah, approachable. A little more approachable. Yeah. So there is another PlayStation One game for Mega Man called Mega Man Eight. And uh, the, because nine and ten actually came out on later consoles, that's yeah. The, and then they went back to the old NES style. uh But Mega Man Eight has closer to Mega Man X Four's gameplay, except for the fact that there's no wall kicking, and the wall kicking is what makes the games a lot more approachable. They, I can't remember if Mega Man Eight had like dashing. I know they have that like they they have that ground slide.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I don't. So and I I believe that the, and then that. That's from, like, that started in, like, Mega Man 2 or 3 and, and went on to be, you know, in 9 and 10. But this game has, like, an actual, like, rocket dash. So that dash oh, okay. uh, that he does on the ground, you can actually jump and do that dash in the air. And then, like I said, and then the wall kicking as well. So the platforming doesn't need to be as precise because if you don't make a jump and you and you hit the side of a wall, you can wall kick up it. So, um, yeah, I find these games a lot more approachable than the more hardcore uh, Mega Man series. Series. Um, but both are great.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I respect the hell out of people who complete them. But yeah, the the like base Mega Man
1: games, I just always sort of struggled with to a certain extent. But
0: I feel like mm-hmm. I maybe
1: get into X a little bit more. Yeah, there's definitely a lot less at your fingertips for t- when it comes to tools for the original series compared to the X series. Um, like you see in the b-roll footage, he's able to rocket jump up. Like it's just yep. it's crazy <laughs> how much uh more freedom and control you gave they gave you in uh, the X series. But it's also I think it was a double edged sword because the more they gave you, the more difficult they could make the bosses. Like they could make, they could throw way more things at you. And every boss still has its own pattern and everything to memorize and like that you can fully take advantage, um, which is great. I, I love the Mega Man series growing up. I, I think my first X was, I played the first X on PC back in the day. So playing mouse and keyboard. Um that was what? a yeah, it was a very weird experience. because uh, I didn't like I said, I didn't have a PS1. Um, but I saw Mega Man um came out and we had a janky computer, but it could run Mega Man X, so I was ecstatic. <laughs> That's all I cared about.
2: <laughs> which, which one are you talking about? So Mega Man X one, two, and three are, are Super Nintendo games.
1: There is literally Mega Man X. It's literally the first oh, okay. X. Yeah, oh, okay.
2: I never realized that game was also on PC. Yeah, yep. Mega Man X on Super Nintendo is one of my favorite games of all time. One of my mm-hmm. favorite Super Nintendo games for sure. X two and three are also really good. Um, but harkening back to the rare stuff, X two and three very rare Super Nintendo games. <laughs> yes,
0: um,
2: but also also very good.
0: Well, yeah, I it, certainly if they put, I, I assume I can just jump into the mythology with four. If I do want to mention one on my end, uh, which is maybe a little bit of a sillier one. It's definitely, um, you know, as, as someone who didn't have a lot of PlayStation games, uh, I would rent often. And because of my interest at the time, I rented for a long time the, I think, 2000 Spider-Man game, the original game.
3: Mm. Yeah. And
0: I think there's a lot of love for this one out there. Like it's it's obviously uh, Spider-Man 2, the movie game. I think it's the most love of the older Spider-Man games, you know, before Insomniac took over, but I do think this original one, you know, for a more contained, uh, more rigid Spider-Man game did a lot of really fun stuff. And obviously it won't, um, you know, in comparison to the modern stuff, hold a candle to it, but I think it would be really fun to be able to see sort of the, like the beginnings of Spider-Man on PlayStation to the current day to like be able to have those two, um, side-by-side side almost would be so fun in a just really interesting this is how you know game design has mm-hmm. evolved over time but i also just have a lot of fun memories of this being one of my first forays into playing a spider-man game. um and and obviously yeah the the two movie game i think like blew the doors off of everything and like shocked little kid me and i played so much just swing around that city but the, this one you know for anyone who's watching the video you can tell there's not a lot of wider detail other than the areas that you need to be focused on but I think it's it's such a cool representation of what was being done at the time for superhero games for Spider-Man in particular and I think would be a really fun historical edition again I don't know if it's even possible to get it uh these days for a service like this depending on rights but I think this one would be really fun to include
1: Yeah I mean Spider-Man is it's just been such an icon on PlayStation for so long like it's it's crazy looking back at this and I would also love to see that kind of evolution from this all the way to the PS5 that we've gotten now. Like just seeing just straight comparisons. Like there's there's no nothing you're hooking onto in this one when you're swinging. You literally are grappling into space um, or web-slinging into space. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it's, it, but I love it. It was just so great. It was so Spider-Man for the 90s or 2000s, I should say at this point. Um, it was it was just it was literally encapsulated what it meant to be Spider Man and like it was definitely a, a treasure to play back then.
0: Yeah, it would it would be a lot of fun to go back to that, and I think help us even further appreciate just the incredible mm-hmm. wizardry
2: that Insomniac has done with these modern games. You mentioned uh, uh, the rights, which I, I find really interesting because I think Spider Man, along with like Ninja Turtles, is one of those games that like one of those franchises, I guess you could say, that like kind of is in like rights hell now where they're like Mm. all delisted and you like basically just like, you can't get them. Right. So, um, not only would that make that awesome to have them on PlayStation now, but like you said, like it almost feels like it's probably impossible because it's like, They'd have to somehow, you know, get the rights to be able to do that, and I, I think that's oh. just so, so hard nowadays. Look at the, the beer on Black
1: Cat's face. Oh look my goodness! <laughs> yeah, it's quite a different Black Cat
0: than
2: what uh, we have these days. It's so great. Um, it's it's so funny because if you go on the original play, if you go on the uh, Spider-Man 2018, you go to the the people that are the NPCs that are riding around on the boats, and uh, you know, those are just they're not correctly modeled NPCs the ones so they way have those the city, like yeah yeah that are like way out there that you have to like spider-man can't really swim in those games but he can just float in the water so you have to slowly float to and they have these like boxy looks to them and and there's like two theories the theory is like you know they're so far away that they don't need to be fully modeled and then a lot of a lot of theories are like oh no they're modeled they're an easter egg to these older games and when you see those you're like man maybe they are because that's kind of what they look like it's
0: really close (laughs) to it yeah but like to, to the point of you know if this can even happen this was a game that was published by and developed for activision and and obviously they had marvel rights that expired but who knows where the like existing original code for this game is what what Mm -hmm. could be emulated and whatnot i think there was like in the the b-roll that had played there's a tony hawks pro skater to Mm -hmm. add in there and that would then be a you know like do they have the rights to show an ad for an old uh activision game that is now uh been remade in some form so it does have renewed interest like could they show those things if they can't they'd have to probably go into the code which they're not going to do so yeah it raises all these questions and i think it's going to be why we see missing gaps to a certain extent in stuff that feels like it should be obviously there
1: but yeah i feel like that we're probably gonna run into the same issues with like the jet moto series because there was mountain dew posters mm-hmm. all over jet moto mm-hmm. anytime you played that because they were a big sponsor for it um or you know they supported it whatever they Paid money to get their name in the game, and right so. <laughs> they did so, it for the but, love. Know, yeah, they did it for the love of jet of you know these of <laughs> water jet skis of jet skis. You th- when you think of Mountain
0: Dew, you think of Jet Moto forever and always. I do mean, um, no pretty idea. much. Mo- <laughs> moving on from there, I do realize we've gone a little long, so I'm gonna maybe blow through. I don't have have a ton as I think as many interesting ones. So, uh Jada, I want to get to you. You do have listed uh one memorable or two, I think, really memorable ones, and then a surprise mm-hmm. entry. Do you want to give me those two? memorable ones
1: yeah so uh since we're in the stealth action kind of with spider-man uh because he is a stealthy person uh siphon filter was the stealth action game on the ps1 era uh siphon filter was amazing tons of gadgets tons of tools to use um just pretty decent story from what i remember back then um and it just really that's where i developed my love for stealth games was in siphon filter and i know there's a lot of 80s, 90s babies that are in that same boat um, and they're very interested to see it to come back. My other one, though, which is a must, must, must have on the system is Sukaden 2. Um, One of the best RPGs um, on the PS1. It's also one of the hardest and most rare games to find and pretty pricey um, as well. But uh, Sukaden 2, just a very uh, turn-based RPG. You get like huge character casts that you can build up um there's a whole front row back row dynamic tons of stat building um i never actually got a chance to play sucked two, so like this is a very like guilty guilty pleasure pleasure for jada to finally get to play and enjoy it in its um amazingness i played sucked in three four and five and i love those and so i'm really excited to go back and try two, and if we get one as well sweet one that would be great mm. um but yeah
0: yeah, that'll be an interesting one as well. It is probably one of the ones I hear about the most, and I think a uh, f- friend of IGN, Jared Petty, uh, will probably uh, very much get angry if we don't praise Sweekit Su- in two. But um, no, no I-, I think that is absolutely one that a lot of fans of the genre, fans of just you know this history and this era of gaming, would want to see there. It's a really interesting one because I was looking it up. It is a Konami game, and so who, who- with Konami these days? Who knows. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. they could very well work out a deal because money. They may also very well be like, we've never heard of that game. What are you talking about? We have no idea with them anymore these days. So um, yeah, well, hopefully that's one. Cause I think a lot of people would be really happy to see that on here. Yeah. Mark, what about you?
2: Yeah. Uh, one I put on my list that I was, uh, saw a lot on Twitter. And so I wasn't surprised is these games here uh, for the video. People that are watching actually own the physical copies for both of them. But they are Lunar Silver Star Story and Lunar yes. Eternal Blue complete. Um, people really love these games, and uh, they have a, a kind of funny history because you know they originated on Sega CD, and then they came out with these definitive versions. Most, I think, most people can agree that the definitive versions of these games are um, are the PlayStation One versions, and then uh, and then they c- kind of had a little bit of a remake on Vita. And it was called silver star harmony um which i think most people agree are is not a great version of of the game and so um yeah to see these two come back um to be on playstation now in their original versions i think people would really really love only because like these are these are like you know they're really beloved games they have songs in them that people really like like full like anime music video not music videos but like cut and stuff like that um i think this is a series that i'm willing to bet a lot of people did not play and it's uh something that a lot of people should because people really really still to these days really love these games as i saw on twitter when i added lunar to my list i looked and uh and as a lot of people were saying that this is a series that they would love to see return as well so um yeah i don't think i'm alone in saying that these ones should would would be a very welcome addition to the uh to the ps now library
0: not that i uh think it would affect their ability to be on but why were the boxes you showed so big
2: oh these were bought on ebay so it's like oh. on the, you know it, these are just the the more complete versions right? oh, so you okay. open it and like there's the case, gotcha, and then gotcha. it's like the book, cool. Uh, and I, be- I believe, uh, I believe uh, Eternal Blue Complete is is the same deal. It just they oh, have yeah. the, they're the full complete versions of them. But yeah, they are. There's your there's your actual PlayStation One case with how <laughs> many discs was this game? It's, uh, two? Two, three, four. Four That's for that one? Star wow. Story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unless one of these is a demo, but I don't think they are. But uh, I, you know, haven't opened them in a while, so maybe they. Maybe they are, but yeah, four discs. Like, that's that's something that like man, people uh, forget about a lot. Is you would get to a certain part in the game, and then it would be like, "Cool, insert the next next disc now." So yep. it wasn't a deal like nowadays. Like you know, you had like Red Dead Redemption, I believe, on a. On, on either playstation 4 or xbox one uh you know came in two discs but one of them was just an install disc right and that, yeah. that's all you needed it for and it's like nope and these like you know you'd go to like a game stop and be like hey this is final fantasy 7 but it's missing disc 2 like what the hell like th- <laughs> it's unplayable without that disc so yeah. um yeah that's the cases are so big
0: <laughs> i'd really <laughs> love <is>. to know <laughs> there it is
2: please insert disc 2 <laughs> I, I really
0: wonder what it will be like I, i'm sure there are some of these games on the maybe on ps now to a certain extent but i do wonder what it is like to play a game that had multiple discs and how the code reads if it's just like a a screen fade like it slowly crosses over to the next disc or how it works
1: i imagine it's probably like a press a button to continue to disc two or something like that that. easiest
2: yeah uh, it was always um, at like certain moments I, I, if if i can just say my last one really quick which would be the, yeah, the final fantasy trilogy which is mm-hmm. seven eight nine the only reason i include those is those games are not hard to like find now right you can get them on steam you can i own final fantasy 9 on like ps4 it's on my ps5 list i can just boot it up but a lot of people are are purists are about these games because you know square they they're kind of like eh, when it comes to porting their games over they change the texts um they change the character model. That don't mesh well with the hand-drawn backgrounds that were that were originally created. And so a lot of folks don't really love, like, as we're seeing with Chrono Cross, right? You look at them, the, the, the the Radical Dreams edition or whatever it's called. It's like you look at it and you're like, ooh, that looks worse than the PS1 version. And so I'd love to see those, but like speaking about the discs is like it was always like at a moment right like i can still kind of remember when the disc changes were for especially final fantasy IX, and so it's like i would assume it's that same thing where it's like it yeah it's either what jada's saying where it dips to black and then it's like press to continue or you just don't even notice and it dips to black and then the next because it always was at that kind of moment where it would dip and then it'd be like insert disc 2 so i would assume it just continues but somebody in the comments maybe can let us know
0: yeah, yeah, those are um, yeah, those are monumental ones, and to your point, I think, obviously, they're, they want people to buy those more recent remasters, but I do think having those original versions would be a big deal to a lot of people, and then people who want to play the ones that have modern conveniences, because I, I think with, like, Seven, didn't they add modes where essentially you can just kind of, like, skip battles, like, randomized battles and things like all, that?
2: All of them do. They all have, yeah. like, you can turn off, which is kind of weird because all, all of those games have items in them um that you can that that makes it where you can skip battles like in fantasy seven there's a materia for it in fantasy nine you get like essentially skills you unlock and one of them is like no combat so it's kind of weird that those are just in there because i have to assume that affects leveling somehow but then there's like the more welcome ones which is like faster battles where it's like you can hold a button and the battles will just go faster (laughs) um because specifically in final fantasy 9 a battle you know you you're running in the world and then it's like whoosh bring and then it's like all these like sh- you know pans of the camera showing the area and you're just like oh my mm-hmm. gosh, let's 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 get there you know but that's how some people love to play those games so and yeah. that's how i love to play them so they were
0: really <laughs> yep. excited to show you those battlefields at the time <laughs> <Yep>. yeah <laughs> um moving on from there jada i do want to get your last surprise one but before we do i do want to just yep. read a couple uh from the audience uh people wrote in as i mentioned to beyond at IGN.com, and we have some others to read that are, are more focused on later consoles but uh michael wrote in uh hi beyond crew listeners since episode one and i love the show now more than ever well thank you michael my immediate recommendations for the service would be bushido blade one and two an amazing pair of samurai fighting games from square these two games have never seen any more sequels but they were such a cool take on the genre and i'd love to have them back uh, although i would also definitely take a sequel instead if that could work out too um but yeah bushido mm-hmm. blade is is another square franchise square on playstation if you just put all of the square right. games on people would probably be very mm-hmm. happy at that point but bushido blade is yeah one i've never played never got the chance to but have heard so much love for
1: in, in the i must be conf- i must be confusing it with something else cause i could have swore we just got a bushido blade like a year or two ago i'd like for ps4 I believe it was a weird. No, that was just, uh,
2: that was Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. <laughs> I
1: could that. be wrong though. I might have seen something else. I maybe it was a maybe it was like a um, like a press email or something I saw about them working on it. But I could have swore we got one. But I'm looking at I'm looking it up now, and I'm not seeing it. So yeah, I mean, it'd be great to see Bushido Blade come back. I'm gonna have to look up and see which one I was, what I saw. But it was definitely a samurai style fighting game. So. Jada, i think
0: that means you're developing that game
1: and you just i probably am i do a lot of development in my spare time so yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so much free time to develop a game (laughs) um moving
0: on from there jeremiah also said good day folks uh i like to play a pretty wide variety of game types but i would most want added rpgs uh they did go through a few different genres or a few different platforms so i didn't pick uh from all the ones specifically from playstation but they mentioned uh breath of fire 3 valkyrie profile vagrant story Uh, And then uh, other stuff from later consoles like Persona 3 FES, Jade Cocoon 2, Dungeon Master from PSP. Uh, And then also, please, Einhander. More people should play Einhander. There are a ton of games that could bring back and renew interest in uh, for now and beyond. And yeah, Einhander is one that I think our our producer Red had shouted out as one that he wants more people to play as well. And and that's a name that, again, I didn't play at the time because I had very few games, but I've heard so much love for that one um yeah before we i'll, I'll read another comment after but Jada, what is what is your surprise pick?
1: okay because uh you know i had to get one licensed game in my list it's going to be star wars the f- episode one jedi power battles now most people probably played the phantom menace mm-hmm. but jedi power battles was a different take on the game itself You still went through most of the areas, Naboo, Tatooine, the palace. The thing is, with Jedi power battles, it was much more about the combat and combos and score based. So like as you kill enemies and get score, you'll, at the end of every level, it'll grade you. And if you get enough points, you can unlock different force moves, unlock different combos, you could increase your health or your maximum force. So it had a really big RPG element to it, and it was actually somewhat challenging back then. Um, and there were some platforming elements. They even had a, a a level where you are running away from one of the, uh, the bigger ships on Naboo, but you're also running they have like the bunch of the uh, wildlife are running in front of you and bumping into you and knocking you down. So it was kind of reminding me of like that old school, like Lion King level where you're running from the wildebeests. It's kind of like that, but in a side scrolling uh, format. Um, and But it was a lot of fun and frustrating as well. Um, I think that was, I think a lot of our love from the PS1 was about games that were fun, but also just very frustrating because of the limitations at the time. Uh, but I love Jedi Power Battles. It was It was co-op. Um, and it gave you access to play characters like Kit Fisto, uh, Plo Koon, uh, Mace Windu, uh, Obi-Wan, and Qui-Gon. You got to play as all of those. Um, and it was just really cool to get to play as all these different characters. Um, and it ended with you fighting Darth Maul, and um, it's just great. A um, nice. lot of fun. And also, you got, like, lightsaber extenders. So, like, your lightsaber would be, like, <laughs> three, to- two to three times as long as normal, which oh, is wow. just... Super weird, but uh, also great um, at the same time because it allows you to just stab people from across the map that's a, f-
0: um, a funny thing i feel like i haven't seen i wish they would explore more in star wars like current canon is making a very long lightsaber because I, I think like part of it is the idea that the energy like you you need to only go so far otherwise it'll mm-hmm. know, be uncontainable but i'd love to see just like a 12 a foot long just ridiculous lightsaber
1: and he like <laughs> yeah it was like, crazy yep too. and there you go there's the stat screen popping up on the b-roll for that's everybody so funny um, but yeah there's tons of different combos and stuff i don't think I
2: need when this you one. when you said star wars uh on PS1, I thought you were going to say Masters of Cassi, So I was like, what? Like, no way you want that game to actually come back. But okay. I'm sure no. the, the, the game has that weird, like, almost like a Star Wars holiday special where, like, people, it's so bad that people do want it to come back because they'd love to play it. But uh, isn't yeah. it
0: canon, technically, too, to an extent? Because I think it's mentioned in, so- like, Cassi is mentioned in Solo. Um yeah. I think
2: I've, I've only seen Solo once. And it was in theaters, and I was like, Falling asleep the whole time. (laughs) I've
0: I've watched Solo a lot of times.
2: No, i i think I think you are correct though. But
0: yeah, so you know, never say never. I guess. Um, Yeah. That that is the power of current Star Wars, is they find ways to make the ones that people have decried the most as as being important. So we'll see what happens.
2: Um, I don't want to. I don't want to add a game last minute. Uh, but I just want to give just a (laughs) a quick shout out to just because people are in from software modes right now. uh, Kingsfield Mm. Kingsfield really, really Mm. like are going back through the old from software library and Kingsfield is, could be somewhat regarded as one of the first like souls type. Yeah. As far as like atmosphere and stuff goes, right. Like the, you Mm -hmm. know, the soul genre didn't come around really until demon souls, but like, this is kind of like an old, you know, could could be seen as like a prototype for the soul genre nowadays. So if you're if you're interested in you know really exploring from softwares like and and Miyazaki's like early legacies, like this is something to kind of maybe look at.
0: Yeah, that would be especially. I I think a service like this, when it can help facilitate not just our nostalgia for the biggest franchises, but when it can help open the doors to like, okay, you love a developer currently. Here's the history of all the things they did, and you get to see that evolution. I think such a cool opportunity for. It.
2: I also want to quickly fact check myself and say that I don't know if Miyazaki actually had anything to do with this game. So he let me was just not say that out loud really quick because I, yeah. I just yeah. it just slipped out. And I'm like, wait, I don't think you know. I think Miyazaki. I think Demon Souls was his his first foray into like you know a game like this, but because uh, he worked on like Armored Core and stuff. Um, but yeah, still from software. <laughs>
0: yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, but yeah, that that is a sort of like quick look at some of the games that we most wanted to see and by quick i mean a big trip down nostalgia lane uh there were a ton of people who wrote in obviously there are big ones that we didn't get to either because we didn't get the chance to play them or there were just fun ones we wanted to mention um you know i think it's worth mentioning i saw a lot of love uh, eric p has a good list here that i'm just going to call out uh, especially because he called out other uh d- journalists and their coverage uh, and love for them but he mentioned lunar one and two uh alundra grandia Ray Fencer, uh, mentioned Parasite Eve and tagged uh, Yes, yeah. I Love You's uh, blessing, uh, which, uh, yeah, that's a big one. Again, I have not played, but have heard only amazing things about.
2: Well, they're they're great because, you know, the, those are also made by Square, but, the, you know, they kind of have that, like, Resident Evil Silent Hill vibe, but then they're, like, RPGs, right? And so, um, the, the, Parasite Eve is a very beloved franchise, beloved by me mm-hmm. as well.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: that's definitely a series I'd love to go to. Jada, go ahead.
1: The, the couple series I'm just going to give honorable mentions to that I didn't put in my list, but I would love to see real quick with no explanation. Legacy of Cain, Wild Arms. Yu Gi Oh! Forbidden Memories, that game was terrible yeah. but great. Street Fighter Alpha 3 Third Strike, though that's downloadable. Parasite Eve, Croc, Gex, Grandia, MDK, Mega Man Legends, and Legend of Dragoon are
2: just a I, few. I, I of was going to say, I'm surprised I didn't see any Mega Man Legends or Legend of Dragoon. So it's so funny that you threw those both in there because uh, people love Legend of Dragoon. Another Mm -hmm. four-disc RPG game. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that game's also got really good music as well. I love Legend of Dragon.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and like you were alluding to earlier, Mark, uh, Tumeke NZ, I assume New Zealand, uh, said lots of obvious choices, but Tekken 3, 1 and 2, if possible, and Twisted Metal, and as you said, uh, there were others, but... those are some rare games and yeah i i think especially seeing those olded twisted metals i assume Mm -hmm. you know with all the rumors and things there's probably a twisted metal in the works especially for the tv show it's such a weird franchise to be like that's the tv show we're going to make first um so i think (laughs) being able to get access to these older games twisted metal was in terms of yeah like i had such a limited home playstation library but twisted metal was the game that i went to my friend and his older brother would be like yeah we're playing twisted metal because it's like dark and gritty and Mm like crazy and um yeah i oh, i loved those silly games i think they were really fun i i do th- mm-hmm. understand why i think it continued on for so long and i also understand why it kind of like sunsetted for a bit but i do think there's a world where playing old twisted metals would be a lot of fun even for just an afternoon or two yeah
2: yeah Tekken Tekken would also be really really cool. Tekken Three is kind of like Tekken Three was like kind of the first one that plays like a modern day Tekken. I've never played Tekken One, but Tekken Two is kind of a a, a, kind of a different style. Like that's still in the era where like the characters jumped like thirty feet into the air and like (laughs) you know it was it was a lot different. Tekken Three, I think if you play modern Tekkens, you could go back and play Tekken Three and like it would make sense a lot of the a lot of the moves and stuff and and the style of the gameplay originated in tekken 3 and then went on to be very very like successful with like tekken tag on on ps2 and stuff like that and and the rest is history yeah um but tekken 1 and 2 would be i think interesting for people to go back and play
3: (laughs) yeah Mm
0: -hmm. um so that that is a like brief but hopefully a little bit of a a good example of what we would like to see come obviously there are a ton of games we couldn't get to didn't have the time for but uh Hopefully, hopefully we see some of these games. I think if we even get one of them, it will be nice. Um, but we'll, we'll have more to talk about in the weeks to come. So if you want to send in your list of PS2, PS3, PSP, uh, PS4, and PS5, we may get to, but of course we talk about those games a lot here. But uh, from those yep. older consoles in particular and handheld, please write in to beyond at IGN.com with the subject line PS Plus Wishlist. And we'll include some on the show each week. Uh, Moving on from there, though, before we get to some just quick news hits to go, I'm actually going to throw to, obviously, we're talking about a lot of older games, but a new game coming to PlayStation this week is Nobody Saves the World, which is from Drinkbox Studios, Mm -hmm. who, if you're a longtime PlayStation fan, you probably know from, in particular, the Guacamelee series, and if you had a, Mm -hmm. I think Vita, Severed. Severed was really good, and I love Severed. Um, but obviously the guacamelee games, uh, Nobody Saves the World is their latest game. It's coming out this week for PS4 and PS5. Uh, It came out earlier on Xbox and PC this year. Uh, You can get both versions uh, at once. So, you know, if you buy it for PS4, you can play it later on PS5. I really, really enjoyed this game when it came out and I'm excited to jump back into it. But if you're brand new to it, I actually spoke with two of the members of Drinkbox about uh, nobody saves the world sort of a crash course on what it is what you can expect expect from it how it kind of follows in the drink box lineage and so i'm going to throw to the wildly handsome jonathan Dornbush for that interview thank you jonathan as always for those amazing pitches to myself i'm sure it was eloquent smart funny and not at all confused by the conversation happening before it uh but i'm happy to be here Again, also in the middle of this episode to be talking about a game I'm very, very excited is coming to PlayStation. It's one of my favorites of the year so far. And it's coming to PlayStation just this week, April 14th on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, and that is Drinkbox Studios. Nobody saves the world. Uh, it is a wonderful action RPG that we're gonna get into, and I'm really excited to talk about it because I'm joined by two of the developers from Drinkbox. Uh Grant's Graham Smith. Thank you. I'm so excited, I can barely say names, and Ian Campbell. Thank you both so much for being here.
5: Thank you, Jonathan, and beyond. 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 <laughs> beyond. well
0: i've read i'm we'll deal with our, our mic spikes it'll be fine uh but it's it's so wonderful to be able to talk to you both again about this game i know we talked a little bit before your launch earlier this year uh, of course for those who don't know nobody saves the world launched into uh xbox and pc earlier this year i believe in january and now it's coming to playstation ps4 and ps5 april 14th this week just, just today or the day after, depending on when you're listening or watching this. Uh, it's a really, really fun game that I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, of course, for those who don't know, if you if you purchase the game, it, you'll get both the PS4 and PS5 versions. It's also coming to Switch the same day as well. And across all platforms, whether you've played it before or just jumping into it on PlayStation, uh, the game has previously had online co-op in it. It's also going to have a new update that will have local co-op that will be available on PlayStation for players as well. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about that functionality and those features of things, but to just start it off, and, and Grammar Ian, whoever wants to take this one, just for those who may not know of the game at all, what what's sort of the top-level pitch that, that Drinkbox gives for Nobody Saves the World?
5: Go for it, Ian. Yeah. Oh
4: man, it's been a little while since I've had to do the elevator pitch. Uh, okay, it's like a twist on the action RPG where we're trying to make things as varied as possible. Where like you're constantly getting access to like new forms that you can take on. You can become like a rat or a horse or a bodybuilder, um, and they all come with their own different like play styles and moves. Uh, so you know they, they all play as distinctly as possible. And the, the coolest part, in my opinion, is that you can like take abilities from any class and put them on any other class. So you can have like a horse breathing dragon fire or a guard who chomps people like a rat. You know, um, and you just use that system of customization to like overcome challenges and gain power and uh, defeat the evil calamity.
0: It's uh, a really wonderful setup that I've, I've loved talking to you both about before and just talking to people in general when they ask about the game, because it's like, I, people will ask and it's like, Oh yeah, you can be a rat, but with the qualities of a, a, birthday party magician and then you can take like the the moves of another ability. Like you said, a horse you can throw in there and so many other fun varied things. Um, It is, I, I think for me, obviously I think PlayStation players out there will know drink box from the amazing games you've produced previously, obviously the Guacamelee series and severed, which are, you know, two of my favorites uh, personally that, that you all have produced. This one's really exciting because it is, I, I think it retains so much of the charm and wit and, um, Humor, but also really enjoyable world building that that the studio it kind of does so well. I was almost going to say perfects, but I don't want to you know put you on too high a pedestal at the beginning of the interview and feel like you have to say everything perfect. So I'm just going to say I love everything that the studio has done before. What were some of the the changes and differences in in uh, adapting to this genre of an action RPG um, versus you know coming off of especially Guacamelee two as a a side scrolling platformer sort of game?
4: Oh, man. There uh, a lot, although that's not a very. Graham might have frozen. He might have yeah. reset. Can he, yeah.
3: Oh, he might have. I don't. Can you hear me? We can hear yep. you. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll just start my question over.
5: Yeah. I don't know what's going on here.
0: No, no, no need to apologize. Yeah, if you see it happen, just refresh. We can okay. always cover it later with B roll if there's like a, mm. a moment or two or flashes. Okay, sounds um, good. I'm really excited to talk uh deeper about Nobody Saves the World, especially for people who don't know it. But one of one of my favorite things about Drinkbox is I think both the the willingness to jump between different genres and, and different uh ideas, but always sort of capture this really, really great uh humor and charm and wit and world building that the studio is so great at. Uh I, I feel like that's definitely here in spades with Nobody Saves the World, but I was curious of like the jump to an action RPG genre, especially after, say, Guacamelee 2. As a side scroller what were some of the challenges or what were you know the interests in, in diving into the genres in, in particular
5: uh yeah our our process for like developing or choosing our, the new games that we're going to work on is uh i think it's probably pretty unique uh, in the industry like basically we open up the pitching process to the entire team and everyone is allowed to pitch ideas and uh, uh then we it's it's Semi, I would say semi-democratic, the way that we select from the pitches. Like, we basically, we go around in a circle and we, everyone pitches multiple game ideas and gets feedback and, just, and repitches. And then there's like a round of voting where we, the best ideas will kind of go up to the top. And then we, we often mix and match between the different ideas that were pitched to try and, you know, Frankenstein a game together. And that's how we made Guacamelee. And it, it's uh, maybe not as much of pulling different ideas. There was a pitch that was pretty close to uh, what we ended up making for, uh, for this game. Um, but the reason I think that the team was interested in it is because we we like to challenge ourselves. We don't like to work on, like, I think the idea of working on another platformer after coming off Guacamelee 2 was just something no one on the team really wanted to do. It's like, okay, we've done platformers. We pushed Guacamelee Universe as, as far as we're going to push it for now. You know, let's, let's do something completely different. And we kind of did the same thing after Guacamelee 1 when we made Severed uh really just wanted to do something completely different again um and so you know there's there's advantages and disadvantages to that because you know we we have our own game engine and our game engine is not well suited to a top-down game uh with you know randomized (laughs) dungeons and (laughs) top-down combat and like so like we had to you know a lot of a lot of new systems had to be put in place which is one of the reasons why this game took us like almost three years to build because we had a lot of new tech that we had to bring in there, uh, not to mention online multiplayer, which is something we've never done before as well. That introduced a lot of uh, a lot of difficulties to the development process and the QA process uh, as well. But I think it was a lot of fun, and now that we have it in our engine, it's going to be something we can support for all of our games going forward. Um, but yeah, I think like just trying to trying to do something completely different, um, not only for the studio, but trying to, you know, trying to do new things that you know you don't that other games haven't really done before, like the mixing and matching of abilities. Um, that was a big component of this game. Um <clears throat> like when we when we were started thinking about doing a dungeon crawler, initially I think we were uh we wanted to do something that had like a lot of different what character classes, um mm-hmm. so that the the gameplay variety could be really high. And um because one of the things that our team kind of doesn't like about dungeon crawlers uh, is the the repetitive nature of them. So we wanted what the player was doing to be constantly changing all the time. Um, So we had to, you know, we had to develop a system for like how that unlocks and then uh, we spent a lot of time on the design side trying to figure out how to f- push players like out of their comfort zone because we didn't want players to just find something that they like and stick with it. Uh, so something that might be overpowered in this situation, if you bring it to another dungeon, it shouldn't work at all because of the enemies that are there or the you know the types of damage that you need to use to hurt the enemies there. Um, so, yeah, we spent a lot of time iterating on like how to push the player Um outside of their comfort zone. And I think a lot of people like that. Some other people, they were a little bit annoyed that they couldn't just stick with one thing um, and just play through the game like you would with like a game like Diablo. Uh, but that's really not what we were trying to make. Yeah.
4: And if I can speak to like one or two of the other challenges, it's just like things you might not even expect, like going from a platformer to a top-down action RPG, it's like even the dimensions of the characters has to be considered differently. like like in guac a lot of the characters are like thin and tall but if you're looking at people from top down that would mean they're constantly like flipping uh orientations in a very unpleasant way you're like okay they got to be more sort of like uniformly uh sized or like the uh the calculation for like the level curve and how that affects stats it's like if you've never done that before when you start you're like where do i even start but (laughs) they're all fun challenges
0: well, on on the animation side, yeah, I, there was a recent example. I forget what it was, but I was seeing a a cartoon character. I think from a Nickelodeon show who was always 2D, and then they showed him from like front facing, and it was like, oh, he was always designed a specific way, and they hadn't thought about what that would look like, and and just that that perspective change, I imagine, must cause a totally different focus for for the art and, and the way, as you were saying, like bodies are shaped and and, and all of that um, in the scope of the world too. I imagine to a certain extent as well.
4: I think so. I think because we developed like a tile-based tools that is at least creates the like st- the skeleton of the game, it let the uh, the scope of the game increase. I would say I don't, I don't know if Graham agrees, but we, we could build areas qu- more quickly with those tools as opposed to Guac, which was very like there's so much. I think there was a whole lot of custom art in like every square meter of the game. It felt like.
5: Yeah, the one thing, uh, one of the things we added into our engine for this game was, like Ian mentioned, uh, it's uh, it's tile based. For the first time, our game is our game is a tile based game, which uh, allowed us, you know, to put more power in the hands of the designers as well, because now the designers can just like you know paint tiles down, and they, uh, whereas our you know all of our previous games, all of the level content was handcrafted by uh, by the art team. Uh, design would just place down basically like you know volumes that the player has to be able to you know collision volumes, and then the art team would go across and put, uh, be- like, beautify all of the boxes. Uh, but now, that you know, the, the art team uh, doesn't have to do that. They can focus on, like, polishing, and the, and the design team can put down, you know, uh, I guess, uh, appropriate art that they think is, you know, placeholder art. So, the, you know, the first pass <laughs> is now much more beautiful than just, like, uh, boxes. So, yeah.
0: i i imagine it would give you also like a really good idea of what things will look like as a whole earlier on in the process um i i am curious on that note did that did that also maybe it's a chicken and egg scenario but like did that kind of go hand in hand in helping with uh as as you had mentioned nobody saves the world has randomized dungeons the the overworld is the overworld as you go into these dungeons uh they'll play differently each time you go through them and and did that tile-based design also help with being able to structure out those or or is that sort of a separate thing i'm just kind of equating
5: (laughs) yeah um so i mean one of we wanted to have a lot of variety in the game because we knew this was going to be probably our longest game it ended up being you know it's like four or five times longer than guacamole (laughs) except about 20 hours to, to beat the game um so like i mentioned earlier we wanted to have gameplay variety but we also wanted to have visual variety as well so um we have the game has 25 dungeons is that right ian 25 and and all of the dungeons have a unique art set but in order to be able to do that with our small team um basically like you know we had to create like themes so the dungeons are made up of chunks and the chunks are made up of like uh objects like this is a low table this is a high table this is and those can just be like swapped out for completely different visuals so the art team doesn't have to like handcraft like every single dungeon uh they can just like make, make a small set of objects that can, now we can use this completely different art set on this dungeon uh so this is a ufo and this is a this is inside of a whale you know and this is inside of a dragon and you know they just have to change like a small number of uh pieces of art to, to make those uh those vastly different environments were
0: and uh, i was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about in that vein uh, something you had mentioned earlier that i didn't want to pass by was the uh the the unique quest system here i know you were talking a little bit about like the the way that the game encourages you to use all the different forms that nobody can become throughout it uh you're able to mix and match abilities uh you're talking a little bit about the the interest in you know, maybe subverting some some genre tropes but what were some particular what you know, the the impetus for that quest system as well as some of the particular difficulties or, or, you know, possibilities that opened up by implementing a system like that.
4: There was sort of chicken and eggy. I mean, (laughs) okay, some of the inspirations I remember being tossed around were like Jetpack Joyride, where it's like, they have those similar little, you know, uh, goals for you to achieve even yeah. in like one minute, five minutes. And it just feels so good that even if you have the worst run in your life, like, oh, if you pick, if you got five coins, like you did something. Um, and just like the, the mental pleasure of like juggling like a short term goal and a medium term goal and a long term goal, like that's part of what the quests were like initially proposed to do. Um, but then as we were making the game and you have all these like, like 15 or more forms and all the different abilities they have. It's like, it it can be so overwhelming to try and learn all of them. Um, So the quest system also became like a cool teaching tool where you can like poke the player to both teach them just the basics or to like make them ask questions of like, Oh, what, what moves could work well together and kind of push them in the direction of like solving some of those, like some of the more difficult challenges in the game.
5: Yeah. I don't think we mentioned it yet, but, uh, this is an RPG, but it, at the same time, we don't have like the concept of experience. Like you don't get just by killing an enemy, you don't get like experience points. That's going to help you level up. You have to, you have to actually play the game, um, uh, with an intent to complete quests. Cause all of your experience comes from completing quests. So, um, so you're always constantly looking at the quests that are available to you. And every form in the game has its own set of quests. Um, and there's also some like global quests where you're like helping the, you know, the townspeople, they have a problem you're trying to, and there's like a thieves guild and they want to help you, they want you to help them steal things. And, you know, so you're doing those adventure quests as well. Um, but, but when you're, when, when just looking at the form quests, whenever you unlock a new form and you switch to it, uh, it's very limited what that form can do. Uh, so like a lot of forms, they just start with a single ability. Like when you want the first form you get is a rat and all the rat can do is, is bite things. So immediately you're given a quest to bite things so you know uh, but that's a very standard quest there's there's much more odd forms like we have a ghost and the ghost's ability is uh it's called boo and when you cast boo a circle appears around the bo- a ghost that is like an aoe damage circle and if you can keep enemies inside of that circle for long enough they get scared and start run- running away from you so there's like quests to you know fear enemies using Boo. And so it, basically we're using, like like Ian said, we're using the quests initially to like um, push people to, to learn how to use the form because it's not immediately obvious how to use the form when you first unlock it. And every form is really different from every previous form that you've had. So uh, so initially, and, and so by doing quests, uh, you rank up your form if you do those the form's quests. And then by ranking up your form, you unlock new abilities for the form. So every time a new ability is unlocked, new quests appear that teach you how to use that ability. And once you've unlocked all the abilities for a form, we start to give you... Quests for that form that have to be done using the abilities from other forms. And sometimes those are very specific, uh, but sometimes they're also pretty vague, like used ranged abilities to kill enemies as the ghost. So you have to take the arrow, like an arrow ability or like a a goose bidding ability from the slug, or like there's a lot of different options. You just pull it onto your ghost and then you. uh, So it it teaches the player how to do customization with that form and like interesting combos with that form, things that people might not necessarily think of, think to do on their own. Um, and so yeah, we're constantly trying to you know, push the player to try different things with, with their forms through the quest system. Um, and then at the same time, whenever the player approaches the dungeon, the dungeons have uh, a bunch of uh, restrictions on them as well. Like when you approach a dungeon, it'll tell you enemies in this dungeon have a certain type of shield that can only be broken with sharp damage, for example. So that means with the form that you're bringing into the dungeon, not only are you going to be trying to focus on like, trying to complete the quest for that form so that you can continue to rank up that form, you also need to take into account, oh, I need some some kind of uh, ability that does sharp damage so that I'll be able to damage the enemies inside of this dungeon. Or s- some dungeons also have modifiers where it's like, uh, you know, melee damage is going to be times three. So you're like, okay, well, I know enemies are going to do three times as much melee damage to me. I want to be able to do that too, so maybe I'll put a melee ability onto my point. So l- like I said, constantly trying to make the player think about like, Like with intent, what kind of build do we want to craft before we enter this dungeon, and uh, and then they go in. You know, you construct something, you go inside, uh, and you die, and you and you respawn back out front. The dungeon regenerates, um, but you're like, okay, what was wrong with that build? Okay, I'm going to take this off and put this other ability on and try that now. Um, And that's the kind of gameplay that we're going for. Like it's we're not expecting the player to die too many times or to have too many attempts with each dungeon, but we really want the player to think about uh, like like actively think about what abilities and which forms they want to use in order to progress like yeah you know to progress through their quests and complete the dungeons um yeah that's the main gameplay loop that we have for the game
0: and and in terms of those dungeons for for those who don't know the game as well as you were mentioning if you die in them you'll be back at the beginning there's also a save point before these sort of like final encounters in the dungeons as well
5: yeah if you can get to the boss you don't have to play the whole dungeon again yeah
0: uh, and and then you can just mess with your forms for that particular fight, and that works well. Um, <laughs> I I love you know the way you were describing it, not just for the forms and the the switching and, and combining there, but also to to switch up your focus for uh, particular dungeon by dungeon efforts. It feels like just the ultimate like D and D multi class to the nth degree <laughs> of just layering different abilities and things together and, and and trying to combine. It's such a I I think in practice such a fun um experience to to not just learn through okay, this build didn't work, but just finding also what you do gravitate toward and, and finding ways to combine those things um in in really interesting ways. And a and, and a way that you've also further complexified is not a word, but it's the thing that came out of <laughs> my mouth. Uh that is with uh co op. And and obviously there there was online co op and, and now there will be local co op as well. Um and and for those who don't know, essentially another player can come into uh the main player's instance of that world, correct? That's how it works
5: that's right yeah for the online co-op yeah so one person will be hosting the game and they'll be using their save file the second player can jump in and basically anything that the host has unlocked uh, the the joiner will be able to access
0: and and i'm i'm curious if you could just talk a little bit about um one i I do want to mention local co-op of course and jump in there but two i i first want to start off of just the interest of uh how much did uh, co-op affects sort of balancing of forms and and abilities and all of that because I imagine that just you know it instantly doubles what you can do in any given encounter.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know like I, I know that we found a lot of seemingly broken or very strong combinations with two players, but I feel like our general response was like, "Good for you! You figured out something cool." and like you know maybe we paired back the most ridiculous one like you can just hit everyone on screen like a hundred times in a second and then explode them all it's like okay well we had to fix that but like mostly i think the instinct was to just be like if you can figure out a really cool combination then go good for you (laughs) yeah uh, that and
5: it's important also to, to note that that combination probably won't work everywhere like you have Mm -hmm. to still like try different things in different dungeons because uh because just even like the enemy types like if you start to rely too heavily for example on familiars because you know there's some abilities like you can summon as many rabbits as your mana allows or you can create zombies but then there's like a lot of dungeons will have an enemy in there that will just take your familiars. they'll steal your familiars and turn them into you know enemies so you can't just always rely on the same strategy uh in either single player or in co-op uh you always have to be like Uh, You know, trying new things or like swapping out abilities to deal with new challenges that uh, work against your current abilities.
4: Yeah, and the quests that were mentioned before, too, help with that. Like, sometimes the game is like, this is going to be a really hard challenge, no restrictions, just like be your baddest self and (laughs) blow it up. But, I mean, a lot of the times you have to do your quests or you're not going to like unlock new forms, you're not going to progress in the game. So, even if you find a really ridiculous combination, it's like, some point you're going to hit a wall you got to you got to explore the game more
0: yeah it's um the i th- i think the freedom and the, the variety that that sort of uh those systems allow for uh creates also just a nice um i, I think as you both mentioned a, a ramp throughout the game where you're constantly discovering new things and and trying out new things where it's you know I, the few things that you discover with a form or two at the beginning of the game you're going to be doing very different stuff just a few hours from then if not you know even further and further on um, I I did want to though mention, of course, the you know the addition of local co-op and everything. Was that something that the team wanted to always have in the game, and and just wasn't able to with the initial launch, or was that something that was sort of like a response to a you know fan interest after after the original launch? How did that come into play?
5: Yeah, we we always wanted to have local co-op in the game, and we knew that people were going to complain that the initial game didn't have it. We knew that because um, you know our previous games had local co-op, Guacamelee had local co-op, um, but we we only had so many resources and we did we committed pretty early on in the project to do online co-op and uh so in order to just be able to ship the game like within a reasonable time because it's also <laughs> one of our longest projects we've ever worked on so we really wanted to get, out, get it out there and that's one of the things that had to wait a little bit longer to to get it implemented and tested properly
0: as a as, as someone who played through all of guacamelee to both solo and then co-op again with my girlfriend and was frequently yeah. shown up uh, in the platforming uh, hardest sections <laughs> by her. I'm, I'm excited to see how she's going to outclass me with her, you know, when she jumps in with form somehow here. Um, but it, it's a really exciting, uh, you know, opportunity for people because I, th- I think the game is so fun even if you're just playing on your own, but with a partner it can be such a blast as well. Um Obviously, coming to PlayStation, as we mentioned earlier, you'll get the PS4 and PS5 versions together. Did the team have obviously? I know it's coming to multiple platforms at this time, and the update as well. Did the team mess around with the haptics or the adaptive triggers at all when it comes to uh, PS5 support, um, or is that just something that you know, looking ahead to the future, maybe?
5: Yeah, we didn't do too too much with the with the haptics or the triggers um, because I, I don't know. We also want to try and keep the experience relatively similar across platforms yeah. um but i do really like the haptics stuff on on playstation 5 it's really really cool um but i, I mean we did some brainstorming but we didn't actually push into that stuff uh, too deeply i think the most thing we're doing with um the, the playstation controllers we do some like light flashing stuff with, <laughs> the, with the lights but uh, we didn't really go yes. too far beyond that
0: of course makes sense um i think with all of that said i do uh before we wrap up because we're running a little short on time i did of course want to ask um either both from you what have been i think have you been able to see sort of the most loved or the most used forms from the audience you know for people jumping in is there very clear like winners that have pulled ahead
4: <laughs> all okay no, I would say no i <laughs> okay. I looked. And all I see consistently is people being like, oh this, this form's like well they'll either be like wow this is great or this form stinks and then like <laughs> a little later on they'll be like, Oh wait, I realize this form's great and then yeah. they like you know, that's like the consistent thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
5: Yeah, I've heard I've heard people do the same thing. What I mentioned the the ghost earlier and a lot of people when they first try the ghost they're like this is garbage but then once you start to learn the cool customizations it's like whoa this is like one of the best forms um i've also heard people consistently say that they they like uh the mermaid or at least the visual design of the mermaid where it's like yeah. one of those you know scary mermaids not beautiful mermaids um, it's kind of fun <laughs> when you unlock it um and the horse is a pretty big favorite because yeah. of, because of its speed but also just it's it's a little bit of a quirky mechanic uh but the horse the horse's main ability is that it kicks, but it kicks backwards. So uh, you have to run up to an enemy and turn around and then kick it. Uh, or you can, like, lock your direction and be constantly running backwards through the levels to, <laughs> so you can kick things that are behind you, but actually, uh-huh. you're, like, in the direction you're trying to go. Um, and that's kind of fun.
0: That feels like a perfect speedrunning tactic, I assume. <laughs> um, also, intentional or not, uh, the horse's main ability is absolutely the best phrase I think any anyone has said today so far. <laughs> um, but with, with that all said, as I mentioned at the top, um, I, you know, I, I've loved Drinkbox's game since I think the Gu- Guacamelee 1 was the first one that I played and, and then went back for Mutant Blobs and, and have continued to play every game since. And and I love what the studio does. I love what you all did with Nobody Saves the World. And it's it's such a treat to play. And I'm so glad PlayStation players and Switch players are going to be able to jump into it uh, just this week. Um, so Ian and Graham, thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with me about this. to. you. Uh, into nobody saves the world a little bit more and i i hope everyone out there gets to gets to
4: enjoy it this week thanks jonathan yeah thanks a lot it's a lot of fun
0: of course and now i'll throw back to myself with another great comeback return that i'm sure i'll have that i'll think of in a few days back to you jonathan.
2: <laughs> great interview man that was awesome
0: thank you so much we did sit here in real time listen to the whole thing i good. do i
2: can't that. i cannot believe that you guys talked for four and a half hours but it
1: was amazing yeah was... we could have just played the game in that time and yeah. you guys used like like you showed us the like, the cards that you guys did to the camera and it had like wing dings font it was amazing yes.
0: yeah we i mean it was all scripted as well which was incredible <laughs> we, yeah we scripted yeah. all four and a half hours it uh yeah it was it was also very vulgar and i apologize for that
2: why did you guys do it in the back of an abandoned Kmart, though? Like, I feel like there there was probably a better place to do that interview. <laughs> do you
0: not also own an abandoned Kmart? <laughs> I thought that we all just got those during the pandemic.
2: <laughs> like, everyone was awarded an abandoned yeah, Kmart. That, Here's that your was... studio space.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it it would be an incredible studio space. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Kmart. Uh, no, I, I purchased the KB toys, actually. Um, oh, cool, cool. the
2: yeah,
1: only I got was a Sabarro. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Exciting. That's...
2: Oh, my gosh. Now I'm just thinking of The Office when he's like, I'm in New York City. I'm going to get a New York slice. He goes a- to <laughs> <Sbarro's." Yeah. laughs> It is
0: It is such a good joke. Um... <laughs> Moving on from there, though, to uh, talk about some just quick news, briefly wanted to mention, of course, uh, if if this news had maybe broke the day before, it probably would have been 40 minutes of me screaming at the top of my lungs about this. Uh, But I've now talked about it a lot and we're, you know, almost a week out, so you've probably heard about it. But, uh, you know, maybe shocking based on the turnaround time, but Kingdom Hearts 4 has officially been announced, Uh, you know, rather than maybe a decade of in-between games announced we already got Kingdom Hearts 4 confirmed. Granted, we don't have a release date for it. Uh, We don't even have platforms for it. I assume it's coming to PlayStation. Um, But we did get a reveal trailer confirming it's called Kingdom Hearts 4. We also got a mobile game announcement called Missing Link as well. Uh, But so this is canonically the fourth game, you know, numbered. It is the 16th Kingdom Hearts I was going to say, I'm pretty,
2: yeah. (laughs) uh, The 16th Kingdom Hearts Yes,
0: but the, the fourth numbered, which I think, you know, shows that they are, the the trailer shows that this is also the beginning of a new arc, the lost master arc. So I think they wanted to start it with a proper, like big bombastic sort of the um, set the expectations for what scale of a game this is going to be in the franchise to start this new era of kingdom hearts. Uh, The trailer, you know, just briefly showed Sora, the main character in a Mm -hmm. realistic looking world that is not Shibuya, despite all the Shibuya buildings that are there. Uh, It's a city known as quadratum which I believe roughly translated from Latin means square is, is what I've heard, which, you know, is perfect for Square Enix. Um, we see him waking up in here. He's not sure what's been happening. There, there's obviously threads from Kingdom Hearts 3, and it's DLC and things that tie into this. I'm not going to spoil all that. We'd also be here for three hours. Uh, but all of that's shown, but we do also get to see Donald and Goofy at the end in what seems to pretty, apparently in my mind, be a reference to Hades and Hercules. Uh, So, yeah, there's still going to be, you know, classic Disney animated stuff in there, I think, for sure. But the big thing people have glommed on to is there are a couple shots of a forest that you see for a little bit. And right in the corner of one shot for like 0.5 seconds, there's what looks like an ATST foot. So we're all Mm -hmm, assuming Star Wars is going to be in there. Otherwise, it's a weird look. Also, there's, you know, redwood trees, which is obviously what they used for the forest moon of Endor and whatnot uh, when they filmed in California. So... We're probably going to get a lightsaber keyblade. And yes, thank you. uh, Red pointing read the B roll right Mm -hmm. in the top right hand corner. I don't know how I can point, but basically there across the screen for me, there's a, there's sort of a metallic looking plate circle, circular thing
3: Mm -hmm. um,
0: that people assume means star Wars. And that wouldn't be too shocking because it's definitely been asked for like crazy. Um, But yeah, I'm very excited. I, after this excitement, I'm basically going to be like, you know, when they show it again, that's when I'll get excited again. Cause uh, I'm not expecting this game in the next year or two.
2: Um, no, So. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw, I saw a few tweets and people are like, what are you talking about? There's already gameplay. I'm like, that's fake HUDs. Like it's, that. It's a HUD vertical slice. Just... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's literally like, slice. that's probably as much gameplay as exists right now. Like they, it's not a new thing and it's not a bad thing either, but it's not a new thing for them to show gameplay and throw, you know, HUD on there just to, you know kind of make it seem like it's actually real like but like is somebody actually sitting there playing on a on a PlayStation no. probably not um i i predict i don't know i predict like 5 years for this game yeah that,
1: that was definitely an in engine <laughs> cinematic with with uh you know whether you're controlling it for during that section when the full game launches and you're just hitting the the command prompts that pop up like that's that's the most it's going to be you're not running and jumping and sliding around the pole that, that's not you um at least no, my, I'm my controlling prediction every single
0: I, I think there will be more i i think the intention of this was to show that there will be more freedom and movement of where you can i get think so yeah. Go. Yeah, yeah but there are absolutely parts it's of part it, of I, the trailer yeah yeah especially when he is in the the uh sort of uh mid-air sequence when he's fighting mm-hmm. and sliding through that is very much i think things that will have qtes attached to it and whatnot so yep. I,
2: right, yeah right.
0: It, i i think it is showing there will be more exciting potentials but i do think it will be sort of very uh, environmentally based like based on where you are that's going to yep. determine what you're able to do but i do i i do think there will be advancements in the movement there and i i hope they'll be cool i think they've been working on it so far they've said for about a year or so in ue4 they're right. moving it to ue5 which should be an easier transition uh kingdom hearts 3 had problems like it, it, not necessarily problems but part of the development was switching from square's luminous engine to unreal which is a, mm-hmm. a bit more of a rougher move i would assume so hopefully my, my like earliest hope is 2025 because i do think they i don't think we're going to have the gap between two and three that we had um or even the announcement of three necessarily in the launch i do think it'll be a little shorter but not much i think like three to four more years is a is a reasonable expectation especially because that's just kind of what we're seeing from a lot of games right now we're, we're getting mm-hmm. announcements for things that are probably not coming out till 24 and 25 and 26 even uh
2: but yeah yeah I, I I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like 3 had a very, very long development time, and then very famously, so did 15, which was announced as Versus 13, right? And eventually became Final Fantasy 15. Um, but I also, it's just like, I mean, they said, like, this game is early in development, right? And this is Square Enix we're talking about. Square Enix takes a long time with their games, right? And so you would think that something like Final Fantasy seven Remake, that game is two years old and we have not even heard a peep really about i mean we got we got the dlc which was a great dlc but it's like that game is for the most part like made right they need to just go on to make part two um and we're still gonna get years in between that we've not even heard about part two and then final c16 is is
1: one trailer a year ago hopefully
2: yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) hopefully you know but it's like the the it doesn't come from like you know oh they have development issues and and that's why it's going to be four or five years it's square just takes a long time to make their games and to a lot of people it's worth it because those games come out and they're gorgeous and they play extremely well and so that's kind of where my prediction comes from is just the fact that it's like right now i'm not saying that they're having any issues sure sure just starting i just think i just think that it's going to be a long time before we see the game for sure
0: yeah well and we you know like to to both of your points 16 we know is in the works and probably the the most recent one to come but we're assuming kind of next year at this point for that there's remake Mm -hmm. part two at some point there's dragon quest 12 and then kingdom hearts 4 like square has a lot of tentpole major jrpgs to come out soon and and i don't think they're going to just cram them all into a year or two. So they're probably going to spread it out. They're probably going to take their time, but I will say it probably also depends on what Disney wants. Like Disney does have a major say in this. And if Disney wants them to aim for a target year, they probably have to aim for that year. We're just not going to, you know, hear about that until it's closer.
2: Yeah. I saw someone tweet about that. And it's it's actually an interesting point is kingdom hearts really does kind of get stuck in this, like, okay, we're going to storyboard kingdom hearts four right now. Right. So like what's big. And, and so they kind of like, like by the time Kingdom Hearts three came out, like Tangled was and Frozen were years old at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, luckily Disney does have this way of like keeping their things kind of relevant, especially with like Disneyland, they'll make rides and stuff like that. And so, but it's a, it's really tough. Like when they they go off of like franchises that exist now, by the time the game comes out, you're like, oh, that movie came out three, four, or five years ago, and it's yep. like, well, you know, that's that's. that's when they had to storyboard the game and make the game you know and so it does make me wonder what you're saying jonathan is like yeah like disney may be like hey yeah you can use this but we don't want to see it in seven years we want to see it at least in a a reasonable amount of time
0: yeah i mean that's why dipping into the back catalog also makes so much sense like if it is star Mm -hmm. wars and it is endor that's presumably return of the jedi which is Admittedly, kind of a random choice, I guess, for this, but you do get the Ewoks in there, which I guess would be fun with Donald and an Ewok interacting. Um, but, you know, you can dip into that stuff. If you dip into the older Disney movies, there's a little bit more of a timeless quality to it. And yeah, if you're trying to hit, like, you know, even something like Frozen, obviously, Frozen 2 was coming out, out around the same time, mm-hmm. but it's very much based on Frozen 1. And so here, right. like, I've been joking with a lot of people they made time to do the entirety of let it go in kingdom hearts three. Are they going to put, we don't talk about Bruno in kingdom hearts four because that song is even bigger. Um, But will there be an encanto too at the time? Who knows? So yeah, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different factors at work that I think will lead to what we see with kingdom hearts. And and it creates this very interesting Frankenstein of ideas and, and different influences and things as a result. But yeah, we probably are not going to find out much more uh, anytime soon. Uh, Moving on from there, just to quickly mention, um, for those who didn't hear uh, this broke just this morning as we were recording, uh, the PS5 port of The Witcher uh, 3 has been delayed. Uh, Essentially, CD Projekt Red said they are taking development of it internally, uh, and and they're moving forward with it internal, so they've indefinitely delayed it. Essentially, it was going to be Q2 at some point in this quarter that we're currently in, but we don't know now when it'll come. So, unfortunately, uh for my girlfriend who was very excited to finally play the witcher 3 on the ps5 port myself included we'll have to wait a little bit longer unfortunately.
2: yeah that was saber interactive right i think as far they... as we
0: know they they handled the mm-hmm. ps the the excuse me the switch port but yeah i don't know mm.
2: oh okay
0: i don't know if they yeah. ever officially said
2: but cd project is very busy right like just just a few days ago um uh pavel Sasco, friend of the show he uh i'm just gonna say that because i talked to him this one time <laughs> and uh <laughs> but he you know he said that they are very very much still hard at work on on uh, cyberpunk 2077 and that they are still very hard at work on the expansions and then as we know witcher 4 is now or you know the uh, the new witcher is now in development uh using unreal 5 so like it's for them to take that port internal yeah, it's definitely, you know, I don't see how they have the bandwidth to work on that. So um not surprised at all.
0: Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll have to see when it comes eventually. But yeah, I think I'm seeing some reports that people are saying Saber, but I can't find the original information on that. Nonetheless, yeah, it's been taken mm-hmm. in-house and and that team is very or that studio is very busy. So we'll yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh and then last but not least, this was another interesting news story that popped up this morning. Um, but often we see headlines about how PlayStation Plus or Game Pass has been, you know, great for a team to get their game out to a lot of people. Uh, the Oddworld Soulstorm uh, dev uh, and the founder of Oddworld, uh, Lauren Landing, called the uh, PS Plus launch devastating
3: mm-hmm. for the
0: game. Uh, in a quote that comes from a recent uh, Xbox expansion podcast uh, reported by Video Game Chronicle, Landing said there was nothing malicious about the deal on Sony's end, but circumstances made it, quote, a double-edged sword. Uh, Soulstorm was free, obviously, April 2021, and Landing explained that um, Oddworld and its partner devs were already struggling when they were approached by Sony to do this PlayStation Plus launch. Uh, Landing said, quote, we were hitting a number of legacy technical uh, debt issues and talent issues, uh, so the dev needed more money to finish the game and didn't expect launch sales on PS5 to earn more than what Sony offered at the time. Uh, because specifically in January of that year, uh, there were not a ton of PS5s out there, you know, especially with the shortage and everything. Uh, Lanning said, quote, We were supposed to deliver in January, so at that time there wasn't going to be any game machines. We were like, how many could we possibly sell? We needed the money to complete the project, and we thought we did a pretty good deal. In January, there's no way we'll sell more than this. Uh, Soulstorm got pushed back a bit by three months to that April. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: There were more PS5s in the wild. And so Lanning said that the 4 million downloads apparently that the game got were quote devastating quote because it slipped to April. We had the highest downloaded game on PS five. I assume via PS plus, Mm uh, he says, I think it was approaching close to 4 million units or something like that for free because they were all subscriptions. So for us, it was devastating. Um, which isn't really interesting. I don't think we've heard many devs say this. I do think it is worth noting as our news story does, of course, that, that wouldn't necessarily have translated to 4 million copies of Oddworld sold. Um, Yeah, definitely. And we don't know know the money of the deal, obviously, but
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting story because it's like, it it is a gamble, right? To take like, you know, hey, we're going to offer, every deal is different and every time those deals happen, they must sign very, very big NDAs because you almost never hear like how much the dev got, right? But it's like, I thought it was very interesting to 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 for them for them specifically to take that gamble and then to have to see those numbers and be like oh we could have sold four million copies well actually that's probably not true because for you know i think i do what a lot of people do right i i don't mm-hmm. think i've ever missed a month where i sign in and i claim all the free games and don't play almost any of them right like yeah. <laughs> obviously sometimes i do right but like you know there's nothing wrong with owning uh, every digital game ever right so i i do i make it a point to go in and claim them all i have 600 digital games on my playstation and it's like i have not played most of those <laughs> but um you know so is my going through and just claiming it count part of those numbers probably but like is this a game i would have bought Almost, most definitely not because I downloaded it for free and still didn't play it. Um, so it's, it's interesting that they kind of like have that self-awareness to be like, man, it really sucks to see it being sold. I, April also a notoriously kind of slow month. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just it's interesting to see them kind of look at that and be like, ooh, you know, where when you look at something like Rocket League, like Rocket League is the biggest thing in the world now. And it was because of that PlayStation deal right yeah. so it's interesting to, interesting to see those uh those you know everybody kind of uh reacting to it differently same with like fall guys right got really big because it was free so yeah. everyone yep. was playing it you know yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah i don't yeah. think yeah i don't think Oddworld world would have been one i was never a big Oddworld world fan growing up like ps1 ps2 days so like this definitely wasn't on my list to pick up um my partner he loved the odd world series so he was excited that we got it for free and be able to play it right off the bat but i think he only played it for maybe eight hours tops and then he he's moved on because he just wasn't wasn't he wasn't enjoying it as much as he hoped he would and i like i had that skepticism of it going in just because i was like oh this maybe i'll try and get into odd world this this time but i wouldn't have paid full price for it myself like diving into mm-hmm. this franchise for the first time i would have waited for a sale anyways i would probably wait until it was on a ps Plus sale for, 20 30 bucks tops so um but yeah i don't think i don't think like like you guys said the 4 million downloads does not equal 4 million sales like i'm I'm interested to see what the statistics are on some of these other like big ps plus games that we've gotten for free and then what their sales numbers kind of kind of of correlates that would be an interesting statistic i would like to see
2: yeah i think it's fair for him to look at those numbers the numbers and and be devastated. I think that's totally fine. Totally for to fair. One hundred percent. Man, oh, yeah. what could have been? But I mm-hmm. also appreciate the foresight of you know the the self awareness of like, well, those numbers are are because they got it for free. Like you you just you never know. Right. It's a it's a total push and pull, but it also sounds like the game probably wouldn't have, you know, existed without that PlayStation bump anyway. So I think I think at the end of the day, you still probably made the right call.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And, and to your point of the games that have succeeded, I think it, especially it'll be interesting once PlayStation Plus has a more comparable, like a, a bigger library, because we do hear from some devs about like, oh, Game Pass was very helpful for our game. I have. I don't think I've heard too many stories of Game Pass wasn't, but I also assume mm-hmm. they probably don't want to openly disparage those things. Um, right. But you, it, like uh, like you said, a, a conversation like this is pretty rare to hear, um, mm-hmm. because of often the NDAs and things that are signed like that. But um, yeah, I, I think the successes you see the most with Game Pass are the two games you mentioned, Rocket League and Fall Guys, and even stuff like Deep Rock Galactic, which like doubled its yeah. user base from PS Plus. I don't think it would have gotten those extra 4 million sales that month if it was on PlayStation, if it wasn't on PlayStation Plus either that month. So, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: you know, it is very much a catch-22. I think when it's a game that is multiplayer, that you can have this existing ecosystem for, that you can put, you know, DLC into and cosmetics and things like that, it becomes a more viable, you know, we we bite the bullet with the PlayStation Plus deal, whatever money we get from that, and then we're able to sell things in-game later on. Oddworld really isn't a game set up. too,
2: yeah so. it's like the it's like you're banking on the live service right yeah, yeah. rocket league nobody bought their game for 20 or 30 dollars but have gone on to spend so much on skins and all that stuff and so and
0: now it's free to play i think so yeah it's uh,
2: yeah i think it is now
0: yep different different case of game but i think yeah it, it's interesting to see these stories and hear these stories and it'll, it'll be very curious to see when we have big libraries on both home consoles that people are owning available to subscribers and how that will affect and won't affect <sighs> game development and project budgets and sales and all that things i think it's going to be a very interesting sort of up and down to to cover as we go mm-hmm. uh but yeah those are the the uh just some of the quick news hits that we had for the week uh before we go as i mentioned because the email is working i can read memory card stories again uh and we haven't done these in a while but memory card stories i've always really loved and appreciated uh, everyone writing in these are stories from people's uh gaming histories their playstation life usually uh and just sort of they can be happy weird sad wacky, odd, whatever you want to write in in with. But if you have a PlayStation memory you want to share with us, please write in to beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card uh, and we'll read some of them on the show like we're reading this one from Alex. Uh, Alex wrote in to my PlayStation posse. First of all I'd like to say thank you for your informative, clever and funny, uh, fun podcast. He didn't say funny. So I don't want to miss I don't
2: want to miss. Definitely.
1: (laughs) We're 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 definitely not funny. Definitely not not funny. funny. Yeah, Um, Not not at all. Good call.
0: Not even kind of funny um nope. n- never miss an episode <laughs> well not since i started it a few years ago now uh when talking about memory cards uh, only one comes to mind and thought i'd send it in when i first started primary school at eight years old i was known as the metal gear boy uh, i hope that was what people called you in the halls um, i really hope
1: so too
0: i was the first one in my school to complete it multiple times and knew of all the hidden secrets within the game such as the meryl number how to beat Psycho Mantis, etc these all mean nothing to me because i'd love to play metal gear solid on my playstation plus collection. Mm -hmm. um anyway with this reputation i made money off of my desperate schoolmates uh 50p for advice and one i think euro uh they're from the uk obviously uh for them to give their memory card and get them passed apart they were stuck on Uh, i roughly made about 15 i get no it would be pounds excuse me i guess it would be pounds i know how currency works uh 15 pounds which may not be a lot, but as an eight-year-old walking past a sweet shop daily with no less than a pound, I was rich with sugar. Uh, Unfortunately, I was made redundant, as the more people I helped, the more that the secrets I knew would be common knowledge, and no one would pay my price for help, which in hindsight hindsight is probably for the best, as the sugar levels I had didn't exactly help with my education. Yeah, sugar crashes at the time wouldn't be great. Uh, but thanks again for the amazing content, uh, you incredible human beings. Much love, Alex, and I really do love the idea that you essentially made yourself accidentally uh, lose that purpose. But you you helped so many people with with yeah. memory cards, which is awesome.
2: Yeah, we we had the same kind of kid in our school. His name was Hugo, and Ooh. it was the, he he didn't charge. I don't remember him like I don't remember paying him anything, but I remember giving him a memory card and him coming back and like he would copy over his like final fantasy eight saves that are like, were like end game saves and all that stuff. Um, he was like the final fantasy eight guy. Cause every school has a final fantasy eight guy,
3: right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that you have a metal gear boy and a final fantasy eight guy. Those are the two. <laughs> yeah. Primary school.
1: I was uh, the Zelda girl. So that was me. I was nice. uh, like, I used to give out tips and hints for clearing the, the more difficult dungeons in Ocarina of time. Oh. Um, I even charged my siblings. That's, this is how nice. ruthless I was as a business mogul <laughs> in school. I mean, I granted, I did give my siblings discounts. I only charged them like a quarter for me to play mm. through a section because okay. I could do it directly and I wouldn't have to explain it or write a bunch of stuff down, but I would just sit there. And I was like, here you go. There you go. Now you're past that puzzle. <laughs> this Simple is, this is that. a dollar
2: this is what i picture it's like second grade and they're like all right guys uh we're doing show and tell and everyone's doing their show and tell and they're like all right now everybody's done and now it's time for jada's trophy tips
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm amazed you haven't charged the listeners for for trophy tips in the past i respect
1: you know what i i tried to but i talked to (laughs) i talked to the big man ziff davis himself and he said uh we're not uh we're not zoned for that we're not we're not zoned Uh-oh. for that so okay. i can't i can't do it right now so gotcha. mm. we're working on that zoning the issue though
0: <laughs> uh, no the trophy tips will will flow freely uh from here on but uh no the, yeah i love that it reminds me a lot of the uh community episode when uh the, with like the chicken finger conspiracy uh that grows in season one for anyone who's watched and essentially it spirals out of control and gets too big mark shrugging his shoulders i love community um anyway Alex, thank you for writing in with that story. Uh, I, I hope those 15 pounds treated you well and didn't turn into 15 pounds of sugar, but uh, or did, I guess. Uh, but thank you for writing in. For anyone who wants to write in, you can with the subject line memory card to beyond at IGN.com. Uh, if you also have questions you want to submit, uh, I'm actually going to say this since we're running a little short on time, but we did get a question in that we'll read uh, next week uh, about some PlayStation trophy stuff. But uh, if you have questions for the show, you can write into beyond at IGN.com as well. You have your PS plus wish wishlist uh, as well. Please write in with those and we'll read them in future episodes, but that is pretty much going to do it for this week's episode of beyond Mark and Jada. Thank you so much for joining me as always.
2: Sure. Why not?
0: Great. the Really, yeah, there's the, the passion and enthusiasm I expect. Uh, thank you both for being here, I guess. Mark, you can be found on Twitter at Mark underscore Medina and Jada at Jada underscore Rena. I'm at J.M. Dornbush, and thank you to you both again for being on and sharing in the nostalgia of our PlayStation 1 loves. Uh, thank you to Red, our producer, for making the show happen and and helping out behind the scenes, as always. And thank you to everyone out there for listening and watching. We hope you're doing well. We hope you're staying safe. And as always, beyond. Beyond, beyond.